Welcome to season two of Invested in Our New Reality, a podcast for business leaders and entrepreneurs navigating the COVID-19 pandemic. My name is Siobhan Hassel-McIntosh. I'm the diversity and belonging lead at Shopify, as well as a member of the board of directors for Invest Ottawa. And I'm really glad that you've chosen to join us for today's conversation. Companies around the globe have spent 2020 reacting and adapting to COVID-19, and now businesses are cautiously looking to what's next. And that's why we've launched Invested in Our New Reality. We want to provide a space for the Ottawa business community to speak candidly about the challenges and opportunities they face during these unprecedented times. And we also want to arm listeners with practical advice on how to innovate and thrive through crisis. Not too long ago, it seems that discussions about artificial intelligence existed only in sci-fi books and Hollywood movies. Now, AI is mainstream, used to do everything from recommending what clothes you want to buy to powering your self-driving car. Today, we're in for a real treat here on the podcast because we're talking AI with Aaron Kelly, president and CEO of Advanced Symbolics, Inc., which uses artificial intelligence to improve market research and polling accuracy. Advanced Symbolics also known as ASI, operates with some of the world's most successful companies in 15 countries. Erin, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Chef. Okay, first of all, Erin, let's talk a little bit about Advanced Symbolics. Tell us more about what makes the company unique and why that's important. Sure. Um, So what makes us unique is that we take a very scientific approach to market research as it applies to social media. So the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges when you're doing market research or human behavior research is getting that representative sample of the population you're trying to measure. I mean, you come from a background where you work in diversity, so you understand some voices are always overrepresented in market research. It's very hard to get at those communities, whether it be ethnic communities or older communities or younger communities. Um, and it's, it's triply hard in social media. Why is that? Because some people talk a lot more than others. So if you're using what's called reservoir sampling, you're going to be overrepresented in some populations. What our innovation is, we're able to get a representative sample of any population, any target market on social media that is guaranteed to match the distribution of the population, meaning we have the right mix of ethnic groups, income groups, education groups. And so when we do our market research, and we have huge sample sizes, like 300,000 as opposed to 1,500, when we do our market research, you're guaranteed that it looks exactly like, say, the Canadian population or the American population or any population that you're trying to measure. Well, that is fascinating. And like, how has the pandemic changed how companies are performing market research? Have you noticed a shift? Oh, definitely. So (laughs) uh, before the pandemic, people, a lot of companies did what they called the omnibus survey, where they once a year, they'd spend $100,000 and they do a big sweeping market research study of their market or their different audiences, what have you. With COVID, obviously that is changing. The market is changing day to day. Any assumption, any research that you had previous to March is no longer valid. It's completely invalid. (laughs) Not only that, but every day things are changing depending on what's in the news, what we discover. So our customers have gone from 
our customers were using what's called a living survey. Because we're doing our samples on social media, we can get minute by minute if we need to. Uh, we do what's called a living survey where our customers have an ongoing survey. So demand for that and needing insights daily has really skyrocketed for uh, for leading brands who want to know, how do we get people wearing masks? How do we get people to trust our establishment versus the competition? So the companies and the brands that have the up-to-the-minute data obviously are going to have a huge competitive advantage. Wow. So you've seen like an increase in terms of the frequency in which companies are wanting to be able to collect this data. Yeah, that's it. And also because on social and because with AI, we can do what's called lookalike sampling. So we can see what's working in other markets. And that's what brands really, really want to know. And the important thing with lookalike sampling is you're comparing samples that were identical to each other before March. So you're not comparing an academic in Toronto with a gun-totaling person in Texas, right? You're making sure that these are identical samples. Interesting. And so like, Let's stay on the topic of the pandemic. The the pandemic has forced most of us to drastically adjust how we work and how we do business. Um, how has the pandemic changed the way you and your employees are engaging with clients? Well, right now, obviously, everything is remote, mm-hmm. and um, I think we've we've learned to overcome that particular challenge. But the main way is that our customers are basically calling us some of them every day. I mean, we've yeah. We've had customers who from Friday to Monday, they see drastic changes in their market. So doing a lot more weekend work, unfortunately, <laughs> than we used to do. I definitely think it's funny what people say. It's true. We're, we're working a lot harder, even though we're working from home, I would say, than we, than we had to in the past. Yeah. And, you know, I love data analytics. It's, it's something that I find fascinating, you know, even within the diversity and inclusion field, you know, at Shopify, we're really committed to making sure that the products and the programs that we engage with and that we launch are always like data informed. Have you found, or can you tell us about any surprising research trends involving human behavior that have emerged through the pandemic specifically? Well, yeah, that's a really interesting question. So one of the things that we're seeing very early is actually a lot more of a blending of open data with proprietary data. Um, it used to be that we called those, well, we call them in, in our office, Franken models, right? Where you're mm-hmm. taking data from different sources that weren't meant to come together. And, you know, our team would often resist those things. We're now saying that's that's moving from Franken models to we, what we were calling the rhesus model, right? Two great tastes that taste great together, right? Um, and, and I think COVID has, because we're seeing the benefits of it overcome the hardship of it, right? It is very difficult. And you'll see a lot of people who, who are very cranky when you talk about bringing data from different studies together. Mm-hmm. But in, in COVID, we've seen the benefits of that, right? Of not just from a co-op, you know, competitors coming together, but the only way we're going to defeat this is by coming together and sharing our data. And so we are learning how to take these models together and create these rhesus models where we are better able to, to blend data from different studies. And I'm hoping, and I do believe that this will be a benefit of COVID that we'll see more of this going forward, the ability to take data from different sources and learn how to analyze it together. Our company is doing that now with COVID mm-hmm. as a lot of data companies are. 
with waste, you know, taking um, data from wastewater management, combining it with social. Uh, we're doing it with the University of Ottawa with epidemiology studies, combining mm. it with social data to, to get better predictive models. And these were things that we did not do before COVID. Interesting. And what's like a interesting insight that you have? I mean, you're probably looking at data day in and day out. Are there any interesting insights that aren't private that you would be able to share about like just people's behaviors and patterns or buying patterns that have been interesting since the pandemic has started? Hmm. Well, it's early days. It is. Um, <laughs> what we're finding is that it's funny that people's beliefs that people are being scarred by this or that people won't bounce back, we're seeing that that's not true. So for mm. example, um, you're seeing that all the doom and gloom about housing prices and what have you, that's not worn out. Uh, yeah. People are continuing to invest in real estate. And with the exception of some big cities, um, people are continuing to invest in cities. We see that people are going to want to travel the interest in travel is still high. We're doing quite a bit of research on travel. Now, of course, we have to get over, obviously, they're not going to until it feels safe. Yes. But I yes. don't think when people say the new normal is that people are going to sit at home and, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> that they're going to radically change. So far, we're not seeing that that's true. Um, if we can make people feel safe, uh, we will get them back. They are going to go back to restaurants. They are going to go back to traveling. Um, yeah. We just have to find ways to make people yes. feel safe and to learn to incorporate safe practices like mask wearing and things into our behavior. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, I'm right now in the housing market and I can definitely attest people are still buying real estate and the prices are still staying <laughs> still where high. They, real high. Erin, um, you've recently been named one of the top 25 women to watch, which is super impressive achievement. Congratulations, especially in this current market. Is there a sense of responsibility that you feel comes with this honor? Yes. I think we all, as women, we know, um, you remember Marissa Mayer when she took over as CEO of Yahoo and the very big spotlight that she was under. And I, I think about that a lot. And I think because there are so few women running global companies or global tech companies, um, it's important, and I feel that burden, it's, it's important that we have that success and that we have that fearlessness and that we show that women are as successful in this domain or even more successful mm -hmm. um, per capita than, than anybody else. Because there's the stereotype that women run cottage industries, that yes, there are lots of women entrepreneurs, but they, they don't raise the same amount of capital or they're not as aggressive. So I definitely want to be that model. I also want to be that role model of the, the woman who does have children. I remember when I was young, I was you know younger in my early mm -hmm. 20s, I worked for a company and they were trying to encourage women and they had a, a series where they had CEOs, female CEOs come in. And the first one that we saw, she actually stood up and said, somebody asked her about family and balancing family. And she said, she actually made a conscious choice to never have a family because she didn't feel that you could be a successful CEO and have a family, which was very discouraging, obviously, yes. if you feel that's something you have to choose. So I'm always very conscious when I go out that I say, yes, I have kids and my kids are well adjusted and I have a great relationship with them. And I have not had to give that up in order to be a high tech CEO. And so I am very conscious of making sure that I 
communicate that to the next generation of young women who are coming up to say, you can have it all. We've we've been told all the time, you can't have it all. You can have it all. It just needs really good planning. That's all. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I definitely like this is a a topic of conversation, even in the wake of a pandemic and all of the unpaid labor that like a lot of women are doing in addition to their jobs and running companies, running businesses, being execs. But there is this idea out there that in order to be successful professionally, you would have had to have compromised something else to get there. So it's so important that like, you know, women like you are out there in the community just saying like, you can, you can have a family, you can have a company or you cannot have a family if you choose to, but it's possible. But I love that. Like it takes good planning um, (laughs) for sure to be able to like do all the things that's such an important message for other women to hear. And I appreciate you being willing to be honest and open and share that little tidbit of information with us. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. I am very like, I, I data analytics is like a part of my team at Shopify. We have a research team embedded. So I know myself can go down many rabbit holes uh, <laughs> because you're saying like companies are interested in getting more data more frequently because the world is just evolving and changing from minute to minute. Are you finding that as they're getting that information and as they're getting that data that they're also pivoting their product or their services just as much as the data is coming in? Yeah, one thing I'd like to say is a lot of companies will come to us and say, I'm worried that I don't have the right data or I can't work with you because I haven't been gathering data. I don't have any, uh, you know, I'm not collecting the right kind of data. And we say, actually, the cool thing is right now, because if you know how to get that data off of social and to do it properly Mm -hmm. and to do it scientifically, that is the most up-to-date data you'll ever have. I mean, in terms of what people are wanting, what people are doing, and as long as you know how to gain the insights from that, and of course, we have people who help you do that, you're actually going to be further ahead than somebody who is using data that's six months old. So don't let that stop you. If you're a company, don't hesitate to reach out and say, how do I take advantage of this right now? We can get you up and running in 30 days with up to the minute, like literally, data from the last minute, (laughs) Um, you know, to tell you how people are engaging, you know, what is going to get people into your restaurant, what it is they want to eat, what it is they want to do, what the entertainment is. If you were, you know, we're working with St. Louis Wings, for instance, they were a sports bar, you know, we don't have, there is kind of sports now, there's the hockey playoffs and whatever, but there's less of it. So if you don't have that, how do you keep people entertained? How do you help them feel safe? That data is all available. So don't hesitate to to know that it's there and to go out there and get it and be competitive. You don't have to set up a whole million dollar infrastructure. I know, you know, lots of companies have that, but you can you can get something right now. And in fact, in this environment, getting that up to the minute stuff is actually a lot more valuable in many cases than the six month old data that you had before. Yeah, essentially, it's like not too late to get started just because you haven't been collecting data or leveraging data actively in the past. Exactly. Every little bit helps. And if you have old data, you can blend that in, right? Like the rhesus model. So it's just just getting started. You can get up and running in 30 days. This is not an 18-month project. Awesome. So I think that's the main thing to let people know. 
Thank you for that. This is really fascinating, especially with the up to the minute data. I'm just thinking about starting my own business as well. And, um, you know, just like when is there too much data and when do you have, like, when do you pivot based on insights that you've received? And when do you, you know, not pivot based on insights that you receive? Like, these are the things I'm starting to think about before I even launch. Well, I can answer that question. You can implement something that's called a change point analysis. Okay. And a change point analysis actually tells you when you should pivot. So mm-hmm. what is a change point analysis? Do you have a few seconds? Yeah. Yeah. Very simple. Okay. So a change point analysis looks at when something is actually significant. So for example, you know, people do Google analytics and they get all excited. Oh, I'm up today and I'm down. Oh, I'm depressed because I'm down today. Uh, on any given day, there could be a million more, well, probably not a million, but like 300,000 more people on the internet than there were yesterday. So the fact that you've gone up by 5,000 people is actually not significant. Mm-hmm. But a change point analysis, when you're doing a proper sample, you'll you'll be able to see that, well, based on how many more people were online today than yesterday, this is actually statistically significant. And then you can drill down, well, what caused these people to come on? If it's something that just happened you know, oh, there's a, more people interested in strawberries, but that's because the morning show did a thing on strawberry shortcake and everybody's yeah. doing around strawberries. That's not that interesting, right? But if it's because of something significant, so I'll give you an example, one that's popping in my mind. Do you remember Colton Bushy, the indigenous man who was shot because he went on the thing up in gas can? Yeah. So what we look for in something like that is what we call net new voices. So we looked at, we as a control, we said, don't look at anybody who's ever talked about indigenous issues before, because that's preaching to the choir, right? So if they've ever even said happy indigenous day, mm-hmm. don't count it. What we saw with Colton Bushi is that we were getting 30% net new voices to the conversation than we'd had before. So missing and murdered Aboriginal women, the residential schools, those people were all discounted. We were still seeing way net new voices. Same thing with George Floyd, for example. Mm. That was incredible. That was like 600% net new voices. So you can see when something is significant. And we do this for our customers to say, you need to do something. Got it. Until you get that, you don't need to do something. And it might look like you need to, but it's when you see that it's really about your company and it's significant, then you do need to do something. And we can see how significant this is going to be. Right. And then last question, the businesses you support, are they traditionally like large companies or do you support small, medium, like all the gauntlet of the whole, businesses? The whole gauntlet. Aaron, I want to thank you for being part of Invested in Our New Reality. That was such an interesting and engaging conversation. And you've given us all, I know myself included, a lot of food for thought. Perfect. Thanks, Chef. Thanks for having me. No problem. I also want to thank our loyal listeners for being with us this week and remind everyone that all episodes of Invested in Our New Reality are available on the Invest Ottawa website, on Spotify, and on iTunes. Not only are we glad you tuned in today, but we also really hope you'll spread the love and share a link to the podcast with your social media followers. Of course, we have a new episode of Invested in Our New Reality coming up next week, and I look forward to speaking to you then. But for now, I'm Siobhan Hassel-McIntosh, and I hope you stay strong, stay healthy, and stay safe.